Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host. On a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. On this episode, I interview Chris Canelli. He is the founder of Kinetic Productions and currently serves as the executive producer and president of the company. They've been in business for almost 15 years and have certainly lasted the test of time. They do video work and training videos, commercial videos, event videos for companies all over the place, especially here in Northeast Florida. You'll love this conversation, especially if you're a creative looking to go from a single person to a team and trying to find ways to grow your business and last the test of time. Chris has certainly done that, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Chris, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So one of the things I love to start out with is just getting a little bit of perspective. Whenever you start a new business, there's a little bit of risk involved. There's a little bit of excitement involved. And so what gave you both the desire and the courage to take that step and say, hey, I'm going to start my own thing? Well, I think my story kind of goes back to college at the University of Florida. They make you declare your major um, during orientation. And I was unaware of this. (laughs) And so they gave me the book with all the possible majors in it. And um, I had made it all the way to T and I found TV production. And I was like, well, I like TV. You know, let's see what this is all about. So I declared my major as TV production and um, volunteered in the TV station the first day. And it was unbelievable. UF has a, uh, a great TV program. They have a live newscast that is completely student run. Hmm. And it goes out to 16 counties. It's, it's amazing. And so I volunteer day one and I'm running camera two. So it's live newscast, my red light comes on, and I'm on air running a camera. And I was like, oh, this is for me. And so there's 13 (laughs) positions. You know, you start a camera, you end at director, and you're managing 13 positions. You need to know what's going on. And I was bit by that bug. Um, Interned in Los Angeles between my junior and senior year. Loved what I was doing, uh, working at smaller shops. This was 03. I was a mentee to editors at one place called Aspect Ratio, and they were doing like the Hulk and Spider-Man trailers. Hmm. And uh, and then a commercial house that was doing Burger King and Xbox commercials. So I got to work on set in that environment, big, you know, Hollywood type stuff. And that was really interesting, but I didn't dig the vibe in Los Angeles, although In-N-Out Burger was delicious. Yeah, true. And so when I came back, you know, I thought I could do similar work because I was cocky by myself. And so I started the company right out of college. Uh, my dad... He's an entrepreneur, um, is currently uh, had his own real estate shop. And so it was in my blood. My mom warned me against it because she was the business manager of an entrepreneurial enterprise. Uh, So she always told me to keep the overhead low. But, you know, that is the beginning of my journey. It started in 03 and we've been traveling ever since. That's kind of awesome. It was almost happenstance that you ended up in that business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just kind of worked out. That's really, really cool. Uh, this is a side tangent, but have you ever done the NBC studio tour in New York City? No. If you ever are up there again, go do that tour. It's so fun because they take you behind the scenes on all the sets. And as a video mm-hmm. guy, you would just love it. 
And then it's funny because there's a new thing that they started doing. I, I did it years ago, and then they did, they redid the tour recently, and we were up there last year and did it. And at the end, they have this like video production setup, and it's all like mock rigged. So like they pick like two people are the people that are on air, and then one guy's the director, and uh-huh. two people are on camera. But it's real equipment, like the real equipment, and you they mix it all on the fly. They they've dumbed it down a lot, obviously, for regular folks that just come in. <laughs> the regular. And then folks. they you know mix it all together and send it out to everybody in an email. But the actual experience of the tour, you'd probably love because there's so much cool video stuff back there. That does sound like so, fun. And it's all in one big tower. Anyway, back Thir- to your, your thoughts. One thing that I drew out of that that's interesting to me is the kind of the in-the-blood entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I, I've had a lot of conversations with people about over the years of, like, is entrepreneurial like an innate thing? Like, is it something that we are actually born with? Or is it something, it's kind of the nature versus nurture, or is it something that we see in others? My uncle was an entrepreneur in his own business. My grandfather before that owned a restaurant business. All different businesses unrelated to what I do. But there is something about seeing somebody else do their own thing. How, mm-hmm. how was that for you as a kid and kind of as you kind of then transitioned out of college? How did that affect your thought of your own process? Gosh, I, you know, I don't know, but I know it had an influence on me. I have trouble imagining doing anything else. I understand that it's not the smartest thing to do. Start your own business, <laughs> right? The security yeah. is not exactly the best. And I saw that. Growing up, Mm -hmm. I saw the struggles that my parents went through. It wasn't all roses. And I don't know, am I drawn to the struggle? Am I drawn to the ups and downs, the interest, the intrigue? You know, it's definitely not the same day, two days in a row. And I guess I just saw that modeled and that's all I know. So I do believe that it is in my blood. And I just, it has to be because what I saw modeled was not, Wonderful, right? You no, know, it was great. It was wonderful, right? But it was not this, you know, regular steady paycheck kind of thing. No, I get it, and I think it's interesting for those uh, folks that may be listening who are thinking about starting a business. There, there is, I think, in America right now, this idealized version of what an entrepreneur is. It's this unlimited freedom, do whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, write your own paycheck, write your yeah. own schedule. Like all these things sound so good, mm-hmm. but you and I both know that. That's pretty far from the reality of how it goes. It is, but it does have this like this hunter mentality to it. Mm-hmm. This, you know, go out and make your own fortune type feel to it that is aggressive and interesting and you know, competitive. And yeah. you know, I'm a competitive person, so I think I'm drawn to it. So thinking about those early years, you know, you've been in, in business now for fourteen years, which stats say that once people pass that ten year mark, they're basically, statistically, they're going to stay in business almost as long as they choose to stay in business. That's not always true, but Mm -hmm. the stats over 10 years are really, really strong. And so you've kind of made it over that big decade mark. But thinking back to those early years, the first couple of years, the first five years, what were the things that kind of maybe you were surprised by or didn't realize or kind of stood out that that you had to kind of overcome and learn to figure out to run your own business? I was kind of surprised we didn't make a million dollars in the first couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I had a, a buddy of mine that was um, started working at Ernst & Young after college. And so he would look at my books every once in a while just because he had the brain for it and is an awesome person. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll probably be making a million dollars in two or three years kind of thing. And he's like, you know, that's really hard to do. I was like, yeah, whatever. And, you know, we had some early successes where Ocean Spray was one of our earlier mm-hmm. clients. And, um, you know, we really hit the ground running. And so I think I was surprised at 
how long it takes to build up revenue and to be successful and to be sustainable. And I will tell you that, you know, those stats are encouraging the 10 years, but I like to tell entrepreneurs that it doesn't get easier. Yeah. You know, there is no time where this has ever been easy. And I think that's good, but um, you don't hit that 10 year mark and all of a sudden you're like, yes, game time. You know, now it's just going to roll in, you know, I'm going to, you know, Tim Ferriss it and just, you know, work from the beach and, you know, four hours a week. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's always a constant struggle. And I think I kind of like it that way. Well, I think that's interesting, actually. And one of the guys I like to follow is Gary Vaynerchuk. And he's interesting. Some of the things he's been saying lately is he kind of talks about how much he loves the journey. Mm-hmm. He loves the struggle. Like he loves the fight for it. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, that is true. But I actually had somebody the other day ask me that exact question. Well, when does this get easier? Yeah. And I'm like, it might be harder now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's not really harder. It's just different. Like things change. I, I can't do things now the way I could when it was just me, like, mm-hmm. you know, and we both have teams of people, different folks that work with us, whether they're employees or contractors or, and that changes the dynamics of everything, trying to learn that process. One of the things that you had mentioned earlier that your mom said was keep the overhead low. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, because I think that this is an area where a lot of people struggle early on and make big mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is definitely a, a thirst to have your castle. I think when I think overhead, I first think about office, mm-hmm. you know, office and expenses and having that castle, having that place where clients come by and they're blown away by this amazing ambiance. And there's for us, you know, TVs everywhere and a production studio and all this kind of stuff. We hardly ever have clients come over, you know, and we don't have a, a lot of team members. And so a big space would be wasteful and it would be almost like an ego thing. And so just being efficient with our overhead is key because if you can grow and contract with the times and be malleable, I think that makes for a much more powerful organization, organization that can withstand an 08 and come out stronger. And so I think that's really important. And then, you know, from an employee perspective, it's we should be working hard. You know, we should be juggling a little bit. There shouldn't be a lot of space. And so that's the way I kind of I kind of like it. I like people wearing a couple hats and, you know, and kind of throwing caution to the wind a little bit. Yeah, I think that that's huge. I mean, I totally on that on that line of thought. I had a distributed team for 16 years. We never had a centralized office. People mm-hmm. thought we were crazy. But because I had the only expense that I had really was people at one point. I didn't even yeah. have the kind of equipment costs that you would have in video production, you know, everybody had good computers and internet connection and we're good to go when it comes to design and website building and marketing. And so I really believe that. So it was a big push for us to build an office. We finally put one in two years ago and it's been great, but we were at that season after 16 years where we finally said, okay, we, we need this because of some of the things that are changing. And it wasn't just to have a space to say we had a space. It was because there were particular things within the business from a services standpoint that we felt would be better served if we had the physical space. And that's been true, but man, avoiding those hard, you know, big fixed expenses as long as possible is it seems like simple advice, but there are so many people who make yeah. that failure early on. And then, like you said, an 08 comes along, everybody gets crunched, regardless mm-hmm. of what industry you're in. And now what? Because you still got to pay the bills. Yeah. And, and that definitely saved us through the years as well. Well, I think one more point to say about that is you should never have to apologize to your clients for how you run things. Yep. You know, you are the expert and you run your organization 
the way it is most efficient for yourself and also for your client. And so if they're used to walking into some big, expansive, wonderful place, that's not us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're fast and we're efficient and you'll see it in our work. Yeah. And you guys do some amazing video stuff. If, if you haven't seen uh, his work, definitely uh, check them out online. Uh, you can look them up, Kinetic Productions. You'll find them. Really, really awesome video stuff that they do here in Jacksonville, Florida. One of the things that you talked about uh, earlier was this idea of building up revenue and becoming sustainable. Mm. I think sustainability is a big word because early on, a lot of people really don't know what that's going to look like. They don't know how much money they need. They don't know what, how can they develop recurring revenue, all those kind of things. How does that work for you and how does it work now even? Do you work with fixed price projects? Is it value-based? Is it hourly-based? Do you have recurring retainers? How does that work for you to, to keep you sustainable? We are project by project. Okay. And I see the draw of retainer clients, but I am really concerned about it because I don't know. My brain can't wrap around shared value in that I feel like it would be a constant tug of war between, hey, we're giving you guys more value than this 10000 a month retainer. And then the next month, oh, we're doing less than you think is that value. And that last month has been erased from everyone's memory. And I don't like that tug and pull kind of vision. Now, I've never seen it in practice in our organization, so I don't know if it works better. Mm -hmm. But I do like that we've got this project. This is the price. Boom. Let's take care of it. Now we've got a next project. And we have clients where we do many, many projects a year for, but they're all all individual. So that's the way we run who knows what it'll be like in the future, but I like it that way. You know, I, that, back to that, that hunter mentality. I love that rush, you know. Ever since the first day we started the organization, I got that first check, that first project we did, and they handed it to me in an envelope after a big client review of the project, and I took it into my Chevy Blazer. Man, what year was that? Uh, oh, Oh, two. No, 2000 Chevy Blazer. I'm sitting there and I open it and it was the right amount. And I just started, I was 22. This started pumping my fist. I was so excited. And that has never gone away. Yeah. Never gone away. I, I get payment in so many different ways now. Right. And there's so many different ways to get that fist pump going. I yeah. get text messages now yeah. when we've been paid. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'll get an email from an ACH. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, it's the best. I'll get it. I love mail yeah, because sometimes it's checks, you know. And so <laughs> I get really excited about it. And so I don't know. I like it that way. That was kind of a tangent on retainer versus. No, that's good. <laughs> but... Actually, so there's two things I, that made me, makes me think about. Uh, one is that while while I would say it sounds like you don't have financial retainers, you do have relationship retainers. Absolutely. And what I mean by that is that while they're not committed to pay you X number of dollars, there is significant value, and mm-hmm. especially after being in business for 14 years, of building and maintaining those relationships for a long time. Absolutely. Uh, because especially if you're project based and you don't have retainers, you your value is the relationships because yeah. the relationships are the ones that are going to go, Hey, I've got another project for you. And while we all you know, want to be able to go find the next project, we also need at times people to go, Hey, here's a project for you. Absolutely. Um, so how have you kind of built those relationships over time in a way that has allowed you to keep growing? Well, I think, you know, one part of that answer is how we build that relationship. We do a really good job And it's really exciting when we can do multiple videos for an organization of understanding their voice and speaking as them. 
So when we are conceptualizing projects down the road, it is this a uh, a yes and type conversation where we both know that employee that has been there for 10 years and the vice president level and us as their trusted vendor, we are talking as peers about this organization and about how we should be talking. And we know the things that don't fit. And so when we build that type of relationship, it is so powerful because that voice becomes consistent. It feels like DNA. Their message is this constant. And no matter if we're doing a commercial or an internal message, there's this feel about it that is inherently that organization. And so building that relationship is so valuable for us. Yeah, I think that that's huge, especially in creative work. When you Mm -hmm. are not tasked with doing what you want, but doing what works for really the client's client, Mm -hmm. being able to understand their story, you know, to some extent is the first part of that battle in figuring out what to do for them. And so if you already have that story figured out and you already have the voice figured out, well, now you can move on and do whatever else you need to do. And that, that, that goes for everything, whether it's photo or video or all social campaigns or websites or anything else, mm-hmm. that story part is, is really huge. I want to circle back for one second because I, I thought that the money side was interesting and I want to go back to it because people will say things like, it's not all about the money. <laughs> and while like I get that, it's not like it is about people and you know projects and helping other people. all those things matter but at the end of the day if we don't have the dollars coming in to take care of those things we we can't do any of those things that are the higher higher aspirational desires and goals i would say of a business so how have you kind of like made that work over the years where you're thinking about how much money i need versus other things that i want to accomplish that may not be financially you know based like I want to be able to have a little bit more freedom on my schedule or I want to be able to do this or do that or I want to help these people or you know obviously you're going to have situations where you've got nonprofits that want to work with yeah. you and, and and lower cost scenarios where maybe you you really do want to help them out but you also have to balance that with real money that you have to make to take care of your family and your team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the most important documents that we have are a profit and loss statement and our balance sheet. I mean, if if those are not healthy then the creativity is at risk. Yep. You know, the health of the organization you know, starts with the owner or the CEO. And if that culture is strained by poor financial performance, the organization will feel it. I take great pride in being able to execute under pressure and be able to create a, uh, a calm demeanor no matter what's going on. But if, you know, financial performance is poor, everything is at risk mm. for sure. And as an entrepreneur, everything is at risk, you know, not just the performance of the organization, but all you got. And so um, those documents are very important and you have to keep it healthy. And like you said, yeah, those opportunities to do work at a discounted rate for organizations you believe in is at risk as well. But those are, you know, those are down the line. You got to first, your organization, its work, the family that creates that work that, you know, you've been going to battle with for many, many years, their families, and then your family in general, wife, kids, all that kind of stuff. All of it is is based off of that financial performance. You got to be healthy and you got to pay attention. Yeah, I think paying attention to the numbers is a really big deal, which is interesting because both you and I come from what I would consider creative fields. <laughs> and so creative people in general aren't necessarily known for also being good numbers people. But I think that you and I both are probably at least have become very good at it, whether we were really good at it or not originally. Ironically, I actually have always been pretty good with numbers too. I think that's lended itself to business success. But when you're first starting out, how was that for you with regards to, yeah, I want to make cool videos, 
but what's a P&L, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, how did that work for you? Did you feel pretty comfortable with that from the beginning? Have you seen other entrepreneurs that have struggled with that? It's, it's funny, like, we still manage on a cash basis because I just cannot figure out accrual. Yeah. Accrual. I can't figure out yeah. how to say it. So when we first started the organization, I was writing everything with a pencil and I had an Excel spreadsheet and the numbers were there and, you know, they existed. Right. And I was paying attention. I was... Um, Everything was accounted for, mm-hmm. and I've just gotten better at it. But there's always been a CPA trusted with filing and all that kind of stuff, except for a couple of years, actually. I've always paid attention, mm. that's for sure. And it is interesting when you say, you know, entrepreneurs aren't or creatives aren't typically good numbers people. Entrepreneurs have to be. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be a whiz, but you gotta, like I said, pay attention. But also as an entrepreneur, it is really interesting to see what hats you take off and what ones you keep on. I think you and I kind of started similarly where we did it all. Yep. You know, I knew how to make videos. That's why I started a company about it. And seeing that the hats I've taken off involve making videos. I'm not on set. I'm not running a camera. I did a, a video for my wife for a ministry she runs. And I had to be trained on obsolete equipment to make the video for my wife. <laughs> you know, and so... I've taken off so many hats, but I've kept that financial one and I've kept conceptualization. So every project that we do, I'm in there trying to find what the story is. And so as an entrepreneur, you're always on that journey as to, you know, what is your organization going to look like and what's your role going to be? And it's that's what's kind of fun is you get to figure out what that is and you can make it for yourself. Yeah, that's really interesting. The one thing you said, which I would just want to reiterate, is the pay attention. Like that seems, again, it seems like simple advice. But so many people take their eye off the ball. And I've seen folks who even have started to get a little bit of success. Mm -hmm. And then they take the eye off of that, the numbers game. And they just go, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then they come back six months, 12 months later, and they're like, well, what happened? Yeah. Because they they weren't paying attention, you Mm -hmm. know. And just, I am almost obsessed with my P&L sometimes in that I want to look at it, you know, every day. You know, I will yeah. look at it every day. I want to see where, what's going on. And, and the, like my, our sales goals for me are really simple. It's I want to beat this month from last year. That's it. Yeah. If I just do that every year and, and also keep the expenses in line because, you know, people got to pay attention to revenue, but pay attention to profit. That's been huge for me over the years. Well, Jay, like simplicity is clarity. Mm-hmm. And in every part of your business, that is so important so that everyone can be on the same page. And to kind of circle that back to what we do at Kinetic, we are all about identifying the passion of an organization, and that's simplicity. You know, Mm -hmm. what are you passionate about? Because if we can figure that out and then communicate it with a memorable video, that's going to be successful. Someone watching that video is going to have that one thing to take away and bring it home to their spouse and be able to explain it, you know, I think sometimes we get really bogged down in complexity, mm-hmm. you know, and simplicity and clarity is what communicates and what right. people can remember and activate on. And so I think that's a, a great point. It's just like have that simple goal, have that one thing that people can yeah. rally behind. And, and the reality is, too, that sometimes simple is hard. Like it's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to figure out simple. It's hard to create clarity sometimes, mm-hmm. both for ourselves as our own businesses and for our clients, because both of us are kind of tasked with that in the creative realm. But I I think people aiming for that, aiming for simplicity, aiming for clarity, the biggest mistake that happens in a lot of marketing in general is is too much complexity. They're they're giving people too much information, they don't have time, and they won't listen, and they don't have their attention. And you're, you know, the fact that you're in video now is is awesome, because 
videos only become more and more and more and more important, especially with how things operate now on social media and everything else. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about how that technology has changed for you over the years and how you've been able to kind of adjust and kind of change with it. Because I, one of the things I talk about in the book that I'm about to release is being able to change and adapt. You mm-hmm. look at a company like Blockbuster mm-hmm. and you look at a company like Netflix and Netflix like wasn't that long ago, they were a DVD delivery service. And now they're one of the most powerful video production and streaming services that's ever existed. You know? Yeah. So how has that worked for you with regards to changing over time in technology? Well, I think it all gets back to don't forget who you are and what you do. You know, technology is important to our organization, but it's also inherent. You know, the technology will continue to grow, but we cannot forget that we're storytellers Mm -hmm. and not get enamored by the newest technology. But make sure that we are focusing on that passion of an organization and communicating it properly. I think, you know, Blockbuster's, what they didn't realize is that they delivered movies to people's homes and they didn't realize that that had to change. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're telling stories and we need to understand that the way those are being told is changing. The way they look is changing and, and people's eyes becoming so much more sophisticated in what they expect. And so we need to make sure that our technology is current and the best, really, but not lean on it too much. And so that's really powerful for us. But, you know, kind of an example that kind of is counterintuitive to that, but gets back to those relationships is we had one of our best clients, Everbank, we work with them a lot. And they're um, a large financial institution based out of Jacksonville, but that's nationwide, depending on, you know, who's listening to this Mm -hmm. and where. And they wanted to do some 360 video, wanted to do some virtual reality. And they approached us. We're like, hey, have you ever done this before? And we're like, no. And they're like, but we trust each other, you know, and we've proven ourselves time and time again. They're like, well, let's do it, you know, figure it out. And so they gave us the leeway to figure it out, to trip over ourselves sometimes, but to develop a new technology. And now, well, not now, the football season's over, but when you went to Everbank Field, you were sitting there and you had goggles on and you're looking at a behind the scenes aerial and 360 experience of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, we were the ones that did it with a client that trusted us and a technology that was brand new. But understanding that we had to find a way to tell that story while we were discovering a new technology. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that idea of you could think of it simply as if you were in the transportation business years ago, you might have had a bunch of horses that you, you know. But ultimately, what you're trying to do is get people from A to B. And then people get caught up in the fact that they're in the horse business and they're not. They're in the business of getting people from A to B. And I think that what you're saying there is really important is, you know, it's not a matter of what medium the video is recorded in or even what format it ends up being in or or where it gets published from a platform standpoint. Ultimately, you're storytellers. Your job is to help communicate a message to help drive some kind of action in the end. Um, And I think that that focus is a big reason that you've gotten as far as you have. There's so many people, I think, over time that don't last in business because they're so stuck on, yeah, but we do this. And they're so worried about an actual physical function within a a piece of technology or something else and not concerned about the grander story of who are they and why did they do what they do and what is their purpose. Yeah, Uh, Purpose to me is really, really important when it comes to success. Well, like you said, we're not in the camera business. Right. You know, they weren't in the horse business. We're not in the camera business. Mm -hmm. We're in the story business. And so just make sure we keep telling them. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I always like to 
get to in these conversations is, I know you've got a young family, I've got a young family, and it's easy to get tied up in work. I always say I'm a kind of a recovering workaholic. Every now and then my wife has to kind of pull my reins back in a little bit, and um, she does a good job of doing that gracefully. And so for you, what has worked for you over the years, and what maybe what hasn't, you know, uh, of how you figure out that harmony in life of going, hey, in a season that I'm in right now, both with the business and with my marriage and with my kids and with my friends, how do I make all that work and and not totally lose something that's really important? Well, I think that goes back to the beginning of our conversation with um, seeing entrepreneurship modeled by my father. I also saw work-life balance modeled by him. And it was very simple. My dad was home every night at I picture it as five. I think it was about five. Right. Yeah. Every day, no matter what. And I'm sure there was times that he wasn't, but what I remember, he was always there. So I try to be home at the same time every day. 530 is when I get home. There's usually like a day, a week where I'm not and, you know, a a night meeting or something like that. But that's the way I see it. That's the way I see work-life balance is physical. Mm -hmm. I'm home and then trying to be mentally there. Yeah. Right. And no matter what the circumstances are ebbs and flows of business, I need to be present there for my family. And if they can count on me to be home in that way, I think that's my barometer for work-life balance in my life. You know, it's different for everybody, but that cutoff, there's always work to be done. Mm -hmm. There was, I think it was a a Fortune or Forbes article that talked about the most um, successful people and and their productivity. And one of the top things that they did is they were always home for dinner. Mm. Because they knew what was valuable. They knew that there was always more work to be done. You got to cut it off. Now, would my company be more successful if I worked 14 hours a day? Yeah. yeah. But my life wouldn't be. Right. And what are we doing it for? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, we are in total alignment on that. And like you said, I do think it's different for everybody. Yeah. Everybody's in different seasons of life. Some people have no kids or grown kids. Some people are married. Some people aren't married. You know, th- there's all kinds of different places and if certain people are in a stage of life where working 80 hours, 100 hours a week works for them, mm-hmm. great, you know. But for me, it's the same thing. Like, I'm at home for dinner yeah, almost all the time. Every now and then I'm traveling or I've got something. But 90% of the time, I'm at dinner. And most of the time, a lot of times, I'm even at breakfast. And so I think that that mindset of having those, what I would call boundaries on your own life mm-hmm. is really big. You've declared that in this season, that's something that's important to you. That's something that your family has decided is important. And so for you, that's a boundary for you. And so when you're outside of that boundary, you have to ask the question, is this a good enough reason to be outside of that boundary? Right. You know, and maybe it is like sometimes, sometimes things are needed, but I have people all the time who tell me, you know, if you would just go to this and do this and do this and do this, then you could, you know, triple the size of your business. I'm like, I know. Yeah. Like I can grow it bigger. That's not a problem. But at what cost? Yeah, and there's always going to be, I mean, when you get to 10 million, there's always going to be the desire to get to 100 million. So it's not like it's going to be over. (laughs) You know, it doesn't always, you know, it's just family first, man. Yeah, I believe that. And uh, I love that about you as well. I always like to wrap up with this question. I think one of the things that's really important, whether you are um, just starting out in business or have been in business 30 years, there's a consistent story that I always see told of consistent learning, Mm -hmm. intentional growth. Um, as John Maxwell likes to call it. So for you personally, what does that look like? Maybe it's uh, personal, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's work, maybe it's you know uh, leadership, maybe it's technical, maybe it's not. What does that look like for you? How do you keep yourself growing as an individual so that you have 
the ability to pour back into others. Yeah, I think from a, a business perspective, what I've done is two specific things as I read all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's always a new book. And the best thing I think about being an entrepreneur is that I can radically change my company at any moment if I want to. Mm-hmm. And books by really smart people can help foster that. And now I don't pivot and run in another direction, but I can gain additional clarity and our company can get better if I get better. And so I love reading. I love reading business books. And so I continue to do that. But I also lean on the Chamber of Commerce. Mm. When I started the organization in 2004, which was you know the, the next year, I was a member of the Chamber of Commerce and getting involved. And that involvement has grown to a lot of entrepreneurial education. They have the um, entrepreneur division of the Jacksonville Chamber Mm -hmm. to put in a plug for that great organization. And there's a a gentleman there named Carlton Robinson that does some really good work. And so whatever class he has going on, and if he tells me to sign up, I sign up. Awesome. And I'm always learning and this always learning and always being humble enough to be in the room and reshaping your organization. After 14 years, I still know nothing. That's right. And then, you know, on a personal perspective, and I think it bleeds into the companies, I'm trying to be in my Bible every morning, Mm. you know, and if you can start your day consistently in any sort of way, your week seems a little less daunting, Mm. I've discovered. So if I know I'm going to be in that recliner, I'm going to open the word and I'm going to, you know, watch my kids watching their cartoons on the phone and we're all going to be just, just hanging out in the morning. It doesn't matter what that week is like. It doesn't seem as daunting because I'm starting it the same way. And so that's something new for me that, that I'm trying out and has been really effective. That is all really, really good stuff and great advice. Any particular books that you've read recently that you'd love to give a shout out to for others that make it, maybe they can look up or check out? The kind of entrepreneur that I am, the the person that started doing something because they did something well. The E-Myth is just yeah, the one you've got to read. Yep. You know, it's kind of like a broken record. I think a lot of people say that book, but if you haven't read it yet, you just kind of need to. Yep. Um, I'm in Mastering the Rockefeller Habits right now. Vernon Harnish? Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. I just got a book from on my last podcast, actually. Somebody gave me his book, Scaling Up. Yeah, which is... And I'm like, man, this stuff's awesome. I'm so. looking forward to that. It's, it is in-depth and detailed and packed pages, yeah. single space, yeah, no illustrations, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, bam. Yeah. Um, so I'm enjoying that right now. I think the next one I'm looking at because of your podcast is going to be Entre Leadership I by Dave Ramsey because yep. I have never read that before. Great. So it's really about me. It's about the next book. And yeah. every book always shapes our organization some way. Uh, one more, if you haven't read it, is uh, because it relates to any creative industry, is Creativity, Inc., by okay. Ed Catmull. Is that about um, it's Pixar? Google? Oh, Pixar. And uh, he's the he's the guy you never really heard of of the three. It's Steve Jobs, John Lasseter, and Ed Catmull. They were kind of the three founders, if you were the original guys. And the stories that he has in there, I think I read are that one. So good. Yeah, great book. Yeah, it's that been is out a for a while, but but that one I just love. Well, anything else? Any parting thoughts or advice before we pack this thing up and call it another episode? It's never easy. It's always worth it. I love being an entrepreneur. And, awesome, awesome. you know, go for it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend 
uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.